I like the thought in that song that says, Oh, taste and see that he's good. He didn't, the song doesn't say for you to try and prove that he's good. The song doesn't say, come see if he's good. The song actually says, taste and see. You, you, you find out for yourself that he's good. And there's a difference in that because the fact is sometimes we think if God does what we want, then he's good. That if God accomplishes what I hope needs to be accomplished, he's good. God's goodness has nothing to do with you and I. God's goodness stands alone on his own, in his own character. And so his goodness is to be experienced by you and I. And if we're not experiencing his goodness, either we're not in him or we don't realize what we're experiencing is his goodness. Let me say that again. Either we're not in him or we're not experiencing or what we think we're experiencing that isn't his goodness. Actually, it is. See, sometimes things that are good for you may not necessarily taste good. All those parents and vegetables know what I'm talking about. Or all those healthy things that you try to give your kids or those unhealthy things that you try to keep from them. And they may not see it as good because it doesn't taste good, but they realize after they've had it for a while that it was actually good. See, I know that the Twinkies and the and the Dolly Madison cakes, I'm going to the things that I like and all, and, 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 and all those things that I had to, I had to put to the side um, in order for me to see some change in my life. Um, those things tasted good and they weren't good, but God is good. And so this morning we are going to taste again of his goodness as we turn in Matthew chapter nine. We are almost done with chapter nine. I was tempted to lump in the last three verses, but that will stand by itself as we go into chapter 10 of Matthew. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read. It's in the centerfold of your bulletin. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 34. You can also put a finger in on Mark chapter 7, verses 32 to 35, because Mark also has some conversation. He writes about this as well. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, or your device, you can turn in the centerfold of the bulletin. It's there for you as well. Let's read together. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, 
he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Father, as we get into your word, I pray that our eyes would be opened and our hearts would be softened and that we would see, hear, and subsequently obey what you are saying and where you are leading. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we saw that Jesus, part one, that Jesus is trustworthy and rewards true faith, part one, in that Jesus is trustworthy to, to I actually wrote this down because I wanted to say it exactly as it Jesus is trustworthy to give life to the dead and heal the desperate who had no hope for life. We saw last week that Jesus was trustworthy to give life to the dead, that is Jairus' daughter, and that he would heal the desperate who had no hope for life. We saw the woman with the issue of blood and that she had for 12 years had this condition that had isolated her from society, had isolated her from everything that would have given her a life that would be vibrant and what people normally could expect. And so she was now in a position to where she could not even connect with people on a regular basis. And now she was broke because she spent everything she had and was no better as a result. And we saw that Jesus came and that he gave her hope. And what he was saying is that Jesus comes to us who are desperately lost without hope for life. And what he does, he brings hope. He gives us life. He actually changes it. Even if what we thought was life, Jesus shows us that really wasn't life at all. You don't know life until you come to know Jesus and you come to follow him. And she was desperate enough that there wasn't anything else that she had left that she came to Jesus. And she believed that it was in him that she would find her healing. She wasn't just looking for random healing. She knew that in him she would find her answer. She knew that if she touched the hem of understand this, his garment, not any garment. There were lots of garments with hems at that time. He wasn't the only one walking around with tasseled garments. But she realized if I touched him, and I wonder how many people she ended up touching on her way to touching him, and it wasn't until she touched him that she was touched. And that was given for us to see that Jesus is the one who, when you realize there is no one else, when you realize there is nothing else, when you are at your end and you are looking for hope in life, Jesus is the only one. And when you realize that is when he responds as trustworthy because he responds to true faith. And then we see Jairus' daughter, and he was a leader with status and someone now who would have normally have not even looked Jesus' way. Those in his position, especially, especially in the religious elite, were those who opposed Jesus. And I wonder, we don't know if he was one who opposed him. But we know that he got so desperate because little girl was dying, was on her deathbed, that he threw everything aside and said, I heard about this Jesus from people, and I came because I believe you can do something. And then, of course, 
We know that the daughter died in the process of him coming to Jesus as he was waiting for Jesus to finish dealing with the woman with issues. And I'm sure he had an issue with the woman with the issue because he was trying to get his daughter healed and daughter died. And so we know daughter was healed as Jesus came to the house and said her death is only temporary. And he shows to you and I, our spiritual death, our death, our sin-sick death is only temporary if we would have Jesus touch us. Our death does not have to be permanent. He says, and that we can come to life. And he brings her to life and he raises her up and sets her on. And then as he leaves the house. And he says as he was leaving from there, the scripture says, Mark actually gives us some. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, you know, as he, as he, as he leaves, I'm sorry, from there, as Jesus passed on from there, from where? From the house. Two blind men followed him. I find that interesting that blind men would follow you. How would they know where you're going? I, I, I always, I, I find two blind men followed him. Well, they followed the crowd that was following him. They heard about Jesus, and they knew at this particular point he was now so popular that crowds were gathering around him. And so they followed the people who were following Jesus. And so they knew where he was, and so as they walked and understand if you were blind in that society, you were, of the, you were down there of the lowest of the low. You could not do anything. Unless people helped you, you couldn't see to even beg. And although you begged, you had to hope there were people and had to listen for people walking around. If you were blind, you could not do anything for yourself back then. I know today we have Braille and you could walk up to the bank machine and feel or you could walk to different places and they have services available for the blind. That was not the way it was back then. You were stuck. You were messed up. And so these two blind men who I find it interesting that they had enough sense to have community with one another. They were both blind and they hung out together. Maybe we could help one another, they said. We might not be able to see, but at least they had community. That when life got really hard, I wonder if the others said, hey, look, I know we're blind, but we got each other, bro. But they both realized that they needed a change and they were desperate. I want to just give you something about blindness. We don't hear anywhere in the Old Testament about the miracle of the blind being given their sight. We hear it in a prophetic sense, in a messianic sense, because Isaiah says it. But you don't see that miracle anywhere happening in the Old Testament. And as a matter of fact, after the Gospels, you don't see it, you don't hear of it again. And if you say, well, Paul received this sight, right? But Paul wasn't born blind. Paul was made blind by the Lord. And then he was given his sight back by the Lord. And so, but when you talk about blindness as a sickness, as a disease, you don't hear about it a whole lot. In the gospels you do, but blindness is that single healing category that you hear about the most when Jesus arrives in the gospel. I wonder why is that? See, the issue is Jesus isn't just dealing with 
physical blindness. And that he is saying for us, just like he ultimately raised them from the dead, showing us that he not only heals sin sickness, but he heals death. In other words, he brings us back to life. Jesus was also showing us that our blindness is one of the main things that we need healed in our life after we've been, after we've been brought back to life. And so we see blindness now dealt with a lot by Jesus. And so he comes up and as he leaves the house, having now healed her daughter, as he now leaves the house, these two blind men know he's around and say, hey, this is our opportunity. Point number one, Jesus is trustworthy to give true sight to those who know they are blind and ask for his mercy. Jesus is trustworthy to give true sight to those who know they are blind and ask for his mercy. It would have been foolish for those two to go blind. I'm not blind. I just have a little trouble seeing. I'm not blind. I just don't know where to go. I'm not blind. I just need someone to help me to get to where I'm going. But I'm not talking about physical blindness at this moment. I'm talking about spiritual blindness. Because Jesus is unveiling the whole fact that these men, yes, who were blind, and we'll see that he's now referring not only to healing them physically, but he is giving an object lesson, a demonstration in that all of you, every last one of you, are blind. And as a matter of fact, at the end, we'll see some true blindness sadly displayed. And so these men come up and they realize they have a desperate need. We need to see. And they cry out because they, they probably don't know exactly where he is, but he's in the area. And they cry out loud. And that word cry means to scream, to screech. And they cry out, have mercy on us, son of David. That phrase, son of David, here is the first time it is mentioned in Matthew. It is a messianic term. It is one given to that person of great influence. Son of David was, was, was the one who was to be prophesied about. I don't know if these two blind men understood all of what was meant in that phrase, but they understood enough to say Jesus, you have Messiah-like tendencies, and you can do something about our blindness. It's interesting that the blind men would call out to the Messiah and to have mercy on them. I want us to see something for a second. Do we, do we, do we see the process? Here's a model that Jesus is showing us here for gaining true sight. Number one, they cried out for Jesus to have mercy because they knew that in him and if he had mercy was the only place that I would find what I needed. In, in him, they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. That's a position of humility. That's a position of saying, Jesus, we can't do this in and of ourselves. You have what we need. As a matter of fact, you are who we need. 
Point number two, when they called out for him as son of David, they were calling to him as savior. And number three, it says they followed him in desperation and determination. Hmm. Sounds like what you and I need to come to know the Lord personally as Savior. That one day you realize you didn't have everything together, that you needed to call out and for God to have mercy on you. That you called out and said, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. And then you followed wherever you knew about Jesus in desperation, hoping that he would hear and that he would respond. And then he does. Jesus has given us, I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew has given us a model for how you come to Jesus in desperation so that you could be made to see again. See, some of us don't think we're blind. Some of us that are not with the Lord, we don't, we we think we see, we think what life is being, the life that we are living and how we're experiencing life is all that there is to life. I think I've told you the story the day that I actually got my glasses. I went for years, probably much longer than I should have, without having corrective lenses. And I remember the day that I finally went to the doctor and we sat in there and they did the eye test and they did all the things that they did. And I remember as they put the different lenses in front of you so that you can say, how is it like this and this and this? And so when she finally got my lenses, my, my, my corrective lenses, she said, let me show you. I, I found this really interesting that she did this. She says, let me show you what you've been putting up with all these years. And she said, now let me show you how it can be from here. I found that interesting. And so she put the glasses, she put the lenses over. And I remember going, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that wall had speckles on it. <laughs> and she took it away and she said, here's what you've been living with. And when she took it away, the blurriness and everything, but it wasn't until I could see clearly that I realized that how I'd been seeing was blurry. It all seemed normal until I could see. And for you and I today, we think what we have is sight when we are outside of Christ. We think we're experiencing life. We think that we are seeing how life should be. We think we are seeing things the way they should be seen. And I understand. I see it clearly, God. God says, no, you don't because you haven't come to me. And so when you come to Jesus and you come to him desperately and you beg for his mercy and he, and he turns to you is when you can begin to really see. And so Here's what he says to them. After the blind man knew that this was their opportunity, Jesus responds. And he responds with a question. Jesus responds and asks if they have faith in him. Now, let me clarify clearly. We got this thing running around here that as long as you have faith, as if it's some sort of abstract thing that you grab onto and then you can get whatever you want. Faith has an object. It must. There must be an object to your faith. Otherwise, your faith is useless. In other words, when you came in this morning, you had faith in the structure that was developed as this building that when you walked in, it wouldn't fall in. You demonstrated faith when you came in and you sat down in that chair that that chair wouldn't give in to your weight. 
faith. In other words, your faith has an object. You are always exhibiting faith in something. Sometimes the object of your faith doesn't live up to it, and it disappoints you. But, but, but when it comes to God, God says, I can be the object of your faith and will never disappoint, even if you get disappointed, because I, I will never disappoint you because I'm trustworthy. And so he comes here and he says, do you believe that I can do this? Why would he ask them this? I would say, well, I followed you and I can't see. I walked into a stranger's house. It ain't my house. Of course I believe. But Jesus wanted them to understand where the object of their faith needed to rest. See, and, and, and for you, maybe Jesus is waiting on you to actually trust him and not your job so that you can have some needs met. Maybe Jesus is waiting for you to trust him and not your doctor. Maybe Jesus is waiting for you to trust him and not your education. He's waiting for you to trust him and not your financial status. The issue becomes he uses those things, but where does your faith lie? He says to them, do you believe that I can do this? And they say to them, yes, Lord, we do. I love that. These two men are still and humble. I mean, they are, they, are, they are in humility this whole time. They respond and say, yes, Lord, an act of submission. They already called him son of David, savior, putting themselves below. Now they refer to him as Lord. I love that. They refer to him as savior and Lord. Of course he's going to respond. And so now he comes and says, yes, Lord, we do. And he, tell, and he says, and then he touches their eyes. I love this. He says, and then he reaches out and he touches them. What they wanted to have happen did. And as a result, it says they could see, but he says, your, according to your faith. Now, this has been misused greatly throughout time. It says, according to your faith, it has been done. And we tend to interpret that that the measure of my faith, according to my half cup size faith, I got what I wanted. But if I had a quarter size cup faith, I wouldn't have gotten it. Not what he meant there. What he was saying is, in alignment with the fact that you had faith in me, I'm going to do what you requested. There is no measure of faith, because Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and I'm not sure that you guys have seen a mustard seed the last time. It is extremely small, but the deal is he's saying it is not the size of your faith, it's the object of your faith. Who do you have faith in? Most of I me, mean, many people that are running around claiming faith, they have faith in their own faith. In essence, they have faith in themselves that they can drum up enough juice and mustard that God will want to do what they want to do. You've missed the whole point of faith. God says, no, do you trust in my character and do you know me enough? Had you read and heard enough about me that you believe I can do this? Amen. And understand, Jesus was asking a question of ability, not a question of willingness. See, he didn't ask them, hey, do you believe that I want to do this? And so then you would say, well, Jesus would always want, no. He says, do you believe I 
Can, do you believe I am the one who you say I am, that I have the ability to have authority over physical blindness that I can just heal it? And they go, yes, we do. Do you believe that Jesus can cause you to see when you come to him in faith? What do I mean? Do you believe that a life in Christ is a seeing life? Well, what do I mean? Well, if you say you believe that following Jesus means I can see, why don't we follow Jesus? If following him means I have my sight, why do I keep living like I want? If, if, if listening to Jesus and believing in his character and who he is demonstrates that I believe and that I am seeing the way I am supposed to see, why am I living disobediently to the Lord? That's because I believe I'm going to see some other way other than Jesus. So I choose to live that way. So I see things clearly, Lord, without, I don't really need you. I see things clearly, Lord, without you. And God says, you're blind. You can't see without me. Oh, you can see. There's a group at the end of this story who's, they can physically see. But look at what ends up happening. And so Jesus heals them. Jesus gives them their sight. A little bit of sadness here happens. But first, let me back up just a moment because I missed a point and I want to make sure that I get. They came into the house. You see that throughout the Gospels is when Jesus is in the house, when he's in a smaller intimate setting that he actually goes deeply with people. You see that because when he, was, when he teaches, he teaches in the house. We saw that, and, and when he went in the house with the young girl, he is, when he goes in the house, that phrase, in the house, Jesus gets in deeper with people in these smaller settings. He never answered these men when he was out on the street. Remember, they were calling out to him, and he never responded until he got in the house. And when he got into a smaller private setting, he turns to them intimately and say, do you believe I am who I say I am? And they go, yes, Lord, we do. Minus the crowd, minus all the hoopla, minus all the emotion, just you and him, Jesus says, do you believe who I am? And what ends up happening? Now they respond to Jesus, and Jesus responds to them. And they can see. And then he tells them, do not let anyone know this. Now, there's a couple of things here. There is no way that those that know those two men would know that they are no longer blind. So that's not what Jesus meant. They knew from the moment they walked out and they no longer were feeling around, they were no longer bumping in the people. They, no they were no longer asking people to help them along. People would know already that they could see. Why could they see? Because their lifestyle demonstrated it. Some of us are proclaiming to know Jesus and see, but we still walk in like we are completely blind. Still falling for the same things that the sinful world falls for. Still valuing things that people who walk in darkness value. Still putting Christ as a lesser priority. But we can see. 
And so Jesus now gives them their sight. They can see, but then he tells them, do not let anyone know about it. In other words, don't spread my name. Boy, that's so different from us today. Because if God gave many of us the authority to let someone see, we'd be like, make sure you tell your friends. I'm setting up a rally. You know, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a big blindness to sight rally. And make sure, hey, I'm going to have it down at Banker's Life, 7 o'clock tonight. And if I really get twisted, I'm going to charge $5. See, the issue, Jesus didn't need a crowd. He came to minister to people. And he says, don't let anyone know about this. Now, and here's what gets me. Now, these guys, although they receive their sight and they receive what they wanted from Jesus and they, and they received him as Messiah, but boy, they were actually disobedient. Jesus gave them a command after giving them their sight and they went and did opposite. You say, but they were so excited, they couldn't help it. Why did Jesus tell them not to tell? I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. That, that's, that's beside the point. The issue is Jesus said, the one who gave you your sight said, don't go proclaiming it all over the place yet. And they did exactly what he said not to. And it just made it difficult, and it made the opposition. Of course, when the Pharisees saw this, and so people were amazed and were saying that, wow, that, that, that this is amazing that he gave sight to the blind. And then those who had sight demonstrated their blindness. Because at the end, this is what the, look at what they say. They say, he doesn't do this. By the power of God, he does this by the prince of demons. As a matter of fact, in Mark, it says he does this by bills above. He, they, 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 they attributed what Jesus was doing and who Jesus was to Satan. He is a representative of Satan. That's why he can do this. And so we had two blind men who could see, and we had a group of seeing men who were blind by choice. And I go, there are many walking around today like those Pharisees who are blind by choice. They refuse to recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, you are blind like these men were, except they can now see. And you see, but you are blind as ever. Wherever you are, you don't even know what life is about. You are walking through life blindly. Because you've rejected Jesus' authority as being sent from God and as God. And the issue is today, are we rejecting Jesus? Are we rejecting his sight that he wants to give us? Are we saying that, nah, that Christian thing, that's not sight, that's blindness. You folk don't know what y'all doing. Y'all, y'all, y'all silly walking around here believing in this old book, talking about the Bible and all these Bible stories, you know that stuff ain't happened. Y'all are blind. I want to say, <clears throat> actually, brother, you're blind. I received my sight from the Lord. And the things that he says in this word are for the seeing and for those that have sight. And so as he moves on from there, not only does Jesus, I'm sorry, not only is Jesus trustworthy, 
to give true sight to those who know they are blind, Jesus is trustworthy to set free those who are bound by the enemy and they can't speak. And that's the last part he looks here. He says, now, as he leads from there, and this one is a little different in that it says Jesus rewards true faith. In this particular case, faith is not even mentioned. But like the people that brought the man on a, on a mat and let him down through the roof, this particular case, this man had, this person had friends that brought him to Jesus, had people that brought him to Jesus. All we see in the story here, and Mark chapter 7 gives us a little bit more detail, but let's look at it here in Matthew. We see here that in verse 32, as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed, some versions say um, um, possessed, but a man that was now being harassed and being hurt and 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 being taken advantage of by an evil spirit, it says, it actually says of him, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. This man didn't come by himself. This man didn't come up by himself. As a matter of fact, if he was possessed by a demon, that demon wouldn't want to come close to Jesus because he knew what would happen when he would get near Jesus. We heard about that when Jesus came on the shore after the storm, that the demons who were in the area ran to check in with him, and they checked in, and he cast them out. And so these demons, were they wouldn't have wanted to come to Jesus, but the friends brought him to Jesus. And it says he was mute. He could not speak. This was not a natural disease. Whatever reason, whatever was happening with this man, the reason he couldn't speak was because of the enemy that was binding his life. And boy, once again, Matthew was giving you a picture of what it is like outside of Christ. Not only are you dead and he needs to raise you to life, not only are you sick without hope like the woman that issues, not only are you blind and you cannot see, now you are bound by the enemy and you can't even talk. Do you see the desperate position, the hopeless position we are in without Jesus? We think we are something, but we think we got it together. We think our speech is smooth and I can talk and I can dress and I can lay it out there. Hey, I, hey, I, can, I can throw some lines and get the sisters or, or, or hey, I can put on them clothes and get the brothers. God says, you are, you are dead. You are blind. You are, you are hopelessly lost. You can't even speak without Jesus. And this person is brought to Jesus being harassed by an evil spirit. And Matthew doesn't spend a whole lot of time. Mark gives us a little bit of insight on this, but Matthew says he, he casts out the demon. And actually that word for for him, to, it's a forcible. That demon did not want to leave and lets you understand the grip and the hold that the enemy wants to have on any human being. He does not want to let his grip go. But when he comes in contact with Jesus, he has no choice. But outside of Jesus, oh, he's got plenty of choice. And so just in case we wonder, we running around here binding everything under the sun. You outside of Christ is no match for the enemy. You in Christ, you better trust in the Lord to do what he needs to to set you free. And so this demon-possessed man is brought to him. 
and he says he cast them out and he can speak. But if we go in, in the Mark, go into Mark chapter 7. Verse 32, and we see here, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And Mark doesn't mention demons and the, the, the demon oppression. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. It's the day as of those that brought him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately. Once again, I love this, that Jesus gets you alone with him. That in order for him to set you free, he ain't trying to just bring the crowd so he can show off what. No, he just wants to deal with you alone. And he says he takes him aside privately. He's not interested in showing off to the crowd what he can do. He knows what he can do. And so for you and I, we don't need to show off to people about Jesus. We just need to live for him. They'll see it. And so he comes here and he says, and taking him aside from the crowd, he puts, okay, now I'm just going to stop here for a second because this gets a little weird, okay? This, this, and, and, and some of y'all would have backed up, but, but I have to insert this for a second. Will you be willing to let Jesus do whatever he wants to bring about your healing? For some of us, we would have been like, nah, man, I'm out, nah, nah, come on, man, get your fingers out my ear. Listen to what he does. It says here, and taking him aside from the crowd, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. What? Why'd you have to do all that? Why don't you just say ears open, mouth open, and I'm done? I mean, think about that. He puts his fingers in his, okay, the last time someone put their fingers in your ear, you loved it, right? Not. The only one I like having a finger, the only one I let put their finger in my ear, y'all say, my wife, no, me. (laughs) Me, that's it. When I put my finger in my ear, I'm okay. But he puts his finger in the ear and and, and it says, after spitting, he touches his tongue. I want to know after spitting on what? His tongue? His finger? It doesn't say. But you know what? If you're possessed, bound up, can't talk, can't hear, can't speak, I'm a Jesus, you do what you want. You can pick up dirt, rub it around, put it in my eye, I don't care. But for some of us, my mother used to call that nice nasty. For some of us, we too nice nasty. It'd be like, nah, Jesus, I'm, I'm not doing that. Nah, does it have to be like, that's going to embarrass me. Jesus said, you're blind, you're deaf, you can't speak, you're hopelessly lost, and you're worried about how you look. That's because you think you look better than you do. We do. And so he says to you, when I stop worrying about what other people will think, you're lost. You're messed up. You need me. And so he does this. I don't know why he does it. And who cares why he did it? What's the result? I don't know why Jesus has allowed you to go through what you're going through. I don't know why he seemingly embarrassed you. I don't know why he put it all out there on the street and now everyone knows it. I don't know why he's made it known that you're in great need. But if he's there doing it, do you care? The issue becomes he's the one healing, so he's the one that directs how the healing goes. 
See, we've heard too much teaching that tells us, boy, I'm going to tell Jesus how to do this. I'm going to tell Jesus how to heal me. I'm going to tell Jesus when to heal me. I, I, I actually heard one guy say, I'm going to die when I decide. I'm going to just go, one day I'm going I'm to I'm walk up and just decide I'm done with life. And I was like, you are so foolish. What? You're going to decide. Oh, so now your God is what you're saying. And the issue becomes we don't decide anything but if we trust in Jesus or not. And the question for you and I today is this man needed to hear. He needed to, he needed to be able to speak and to hear. And look at what happens. His friends knew that Jesus could heal him. His friends. Once again, we need friends like that. His friends knew that Jesus could take care of him, and so they brought him to Jesus. And so when he got to Jesus, Jesus heals. And it's so sad that it's the attributing after this that we hear that these Pharisees said it was Satan that is doing this. They were amazed. The people were amazed. Don't be amazed at the rain. We thank God for it. Free watering for those who have grass. Just get to the car quickly when you get out of here. But it says here at the end, and I know I mentioned this after the the blind incident, but understand it's both. The Pharisees had been hearing about this, and Jesus has now gained tremendously in his popularity and is almost at the height of his popularity. These, goes, these, these dudes go, this isn't God, this is the devil. This is Satan. And I go, you have chosen to be blind even though you see, and you should be quiet even though you speak. You are the ones that should be mute. You are the ones that should not be able to speak because what you're saying is awful. What you're saying is a lie. What you're saying isn't the truth. What you're saying is damning of you because it is showing your evil heart. And so while this man who was possessed by a demon was set free from the demon and could now speak, those who could speak are being bound by demons even though they think they are free. I mean, you see the picture here. And boy, that is a warning to you and I. Don't think just because you got it all together that you have it all together. I said, because those things which we measure as a standard for having it all together doesn't mean a thing. If God was to shift or switch gears on you and I today. See, the issue is he goes, come to me, I'll let you see. Come to me, I'll help you to, I'll, I'll let you speak. And when you speak, Like he would do, when you speak, you will proclaim my mercy. You will, you know this guy when he started to speak. All he could talk about was how Jesus set him free. All he could talk about, he was probably making up for lost time. I knew that as a kid, some people say that's what's happening now with me. As a kid, I stuttered severely, and so I didn't talk a whole lot. And so people say, in my family, you, you making up for lost time. I agree. You making up for lost time. That, 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 that now you couldn't speak all these years, and you were little, and, and you stuttered all the way through every sentence. Now you just keep talking. And I was like, but you know, I imagine this guy like that. <laughs> 
I imagine him like that. I imagine him going, man, I, I, just, I was back. Satan had me all, I, won, I was wondering what was going on in his mind. I don't know, and we don't know, so we can't guess. But I can just imagine when he was set free and his tongue was loosed, that he didn't talk about himself. When you and I are set free by Jesus, the conversation is different. The lifestyle is different. The way we act is different. How we talk to people, what we talk to people about are different. Why? Because we've truly been set free. Jesus is trustworthy and he rewards true faith. Do you believe that he is who he says he is? If you do, live like it. Let your life tell the story of, what Je of who Jesus is and what he's really done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you have come to set us free. Thank you, Lord, that you 